Hi everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show and thank you very much. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and Crypto 101 Media was proud to be a sponsor of the Ethereal Summit in New York. So, we sent Aaron Paul of ICO 101 and Mark Van Horn, the sales director of Crypto 101 Media, to New York to get great interviews and great video footage of the summit. So, for the next four episodes, we are going to put out that content for you. First, we usually put out an episode every three days, but because there's a lot of content and we don't want the content to get old, you know, it's kind of like lost in the history. We're going to put it out every other day for you. And also, I want to apologize for the audio quality. We had great cameras, great microphones, but because of all the people around, it was really hard not to get a lot of background noise. So I want to say in advance, I'm sorry about the background noise but I hope you enjoy the content. Before we start the show, please go to Crypto101Podcast.com. There you can follow us on your social media of choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can send us an email. You can become a Patreon. Patreons, we have all of these episodes up there already for you. So if you don't want to wait every other day, go listen now. And we also have three more episodes up there for you as well. It's a little series that Danny and I recorded, Back to Basics, with Crypto 101 and Danny himself of a Decryptionary. And finally, please go to iTunes, subscribe, leave us a comment, and a rating. It helps us a lot. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the content from the Ethereal Summit in New York City with Aaron Paul and Mark Van Horn, and we'll see you after the show. Aaron Paul, Crypto 101 Media. What is your story? We hear a a Vitalik story all the time. What's your story? How did you get into what you're doing right now? And what is something that nobody knows about you? So I have a background in technology. I did uh, about 10 years of robotics, machine vision, AI, neural nets work. After a degree in electrical engineering and computer science, uh, continued uh, to do some tech work in the music industry, various different kinds of consulting software gigs at, at different companies, spent some time at Goldman Sachs and built a sort of application there. I was on the uh, technology side of private wealth management and then transitioned to running a hedge fund with a partner. So it was a set of funds uh, pursuing a statistical time arbitrage strategy. Uh, Did that for a little while, ended up uh, spending some time in Jamaica, also in the music industry, and that's basically when Ethereum happened. So I was uh, tracking the Bitcoin space, mostly by reading everything for a couple years, but not trying to build a business in the space, and uh, met Vitalik about a month after he wrote the white paper. So that was January 1st, 2014. Uh, We're both from Toronto. I was back home visiting my family. Over the next month, a bunch of us essentially formed the Ethereum project around Vitalik and the rest is uh, reasonably well documented, yeah. Can I ask one follow-up question and I promise I won't ask any more questions. For the average consumer, the the plumber, the mom, the, the waitress, the waiter, what can they do to retool themselves and just go all in into this into this space having no tech background, no blockchain background? What can they do, practically speaking, 
to transition into the blockchain space. Yeah. So our Consensus Academy is putting out uh, e-books and other kinds of courses, MOOCs. Some of it's technical, some of it's much less technical. YouTube has a stunning number of videos, uh, different levels. Uh, there are so many people who are just talking about the trading aspects of, of this space and uh, social implications of the space. We formed an event, uh, a set of events called Ethereal, uh, which was designed. You know, there were all these technical developer conferences and banker conferences, uh, trader conferences, and uh, we felt that there was nothing that really spoke to sort of normal people, artists, musicians, philosophers, politicians. I would suggest to those people to go to an Ethereal event. I have a question. I'm, my name is Manoush. I'm part of a new company called Stable Genius, and you just funded us to be part of Civil. Um, so we're excited about that. Um, wonder if you could sort of talk about what you think the blockchain, what sort of effect it can have for journalism, which seems to be very much in jeopardy right now. And if I could ask you to actually hold this while you... Sure. We actually have two projects that are structured somewhat similarly, uh, Civil and a project called Conscience. Uh, so uh, what we're looking for from Civil is uh, essentially provenance of information uh, and fair discourse on top of that information. So disclosed identity for the people who are reporting on things, disclosure about where all the data is coming from, perhaps some fact-checking, incentivization to do fact-checking, rewards for uncovering things that are fake facts, um, and uh, incentivization to uh, contribute to discourse on top of a story. Uh, so the other project is even a little crisper in, in how you might come to understand civil. So conscience is all about uh, building a, a better practice of science. So science is broken currently. Publish or perish is broken. The uh, science journal industry is out of alignment with the healthy execution of science. Uh, they publish interesting positive results. They don't publish replication studies. They don't publish negative results. Uh, and so with respect to the provenance of the data, whether it's social data or instrument captured data, we can put signatures on devices so that they uh, log the data in real time. Uh, we can enable social scientists to upload and log the data in real time so nobody's uh, forced to able to fit the data to their hypothesis five years later when they get a little bit frustrated. So we, we think that's going to be really useful uh, for just plain old journalism. And just turning scientists or maybe journalists into sort of rock stars in their own space so that they can sell subscriptions to their work. For scientists, you could video your experiments, you can just disclose so much of the detail of your process, enable people to access raw data, show people how to do replication experiments, and so we think some of that could apply to journalists as well as uh, uh, if you're comfortable sharing some of the nitty-gritty of how you work. Sure. Uh, how do you feel that the media, especially sort of broadcast and digital uh, media organizations, have portrayed uh, crypto and blockchain? Uh, it's really a general question. Some well, some not so well, some biased, some balanced. What would I like to see? Uh, well, I use the term fair and balanced, and people don't like it when I use that term very much. But So I would like to see a, a platform on which we have uh, lots of different newsrooms and professional journalists focusing on topics that they care about, whether, whether it's regional news or you know, some sort of niche. We, uh, we have an individual named Ray Valdez, who's uh, an analyst at Gartner for 16 years. He's thinking about bringing some people together to 
perhaps maybe it'll on civil, maybe not, but uh, just sort of bottom up, no major intermediary in the middle, no advertisers that you have to cater to. It's a cool vision, and uh, I think there's a lot of traction for it right now. And Steve Tapp from The Bridge. Um, how much do you feel like the enthusiasm of a decentralized, decentralized platform is driven by kind of a backlash to Silicon Valley and the, you know, the giant centralized so early on, it wasn't really a backlash to Silicon Valley, not so much. I think it was a backlash to essentially decades of growing distrust in centralized institutions like governments and banks. Cambridge Analytica and Facebook are sort of helping our case a little bit right now, but there are good things going on in government as well. So GDPR in Europe, uh, general data protection, protecting uh, personal information, it's going to be incredibly complicated for us all to deal with. Uh, it's going to be, I think, a big mess at the start, but it's, uh, it's a really interesting step in the right direction. You know, force companies, if they want to interact with European citizens, force companies to think more carefully about how they treat personal information. And I often say that the internet is broken for a couple reasons. One of the reasons is that there's no good identity construct. And basically, we spray aspects of our identity throughout the internet. It gets stored on corporate servers, uh, many of which are run by Silicon Valley organizations. It gets monetized by those organizations. It's often not adequately secured by those organizations. So uh, the business model of exploiting people, exploiting personal information is going to change. And I think it's going to be even better potentially for those companies. Uh, they will be less exposed to the risk if we are controlling our own data, encrypted, and enabling it to be selectively disclosable in situations that we designate. And we've built a system called Uport. Uh, there are some other projects out there that are trying to do the same thing. So that sets up a world in which Silicon Valley and other companies uh, can still access personal information. It'll be under our control. We may choose to monetize that information because it's in our own personal data lockers. We'll be able to upload better, uh, richer information, more varied information, financial information, health information. And so that information will then be available if we make it available on data markets. And so these companies can uh, still go about their business. They, they might have to pay a little bit more for the data, but we think it's going to be better data. And that data can then be used in other things like scientific research. So we've got a project called Linea that is enabling people to track their longitudinal health information. So instead of hospitals and pharmacies capturing a, a time slice of your health information, you know, when something's broken already, you can track your personal data continuously in real time and use it proactively, use it for maintenance and optimization of health. Uh, so flipping things around. That's the Web3 vision. It's probably going to change everything in a few years. Um, not directly, no. How would you describe the state of the international ecosystem for the blockchain and the community? Where are you seeing the ships happening most? And where are you most excited to see the ships happening? 
A really big question. General answer is it's growing exponentially. So it's still, the technology is still very young and human beings are really good at finding things that look valuable and and trying to modify them in little ways or big ways and, and hopefully with all this value that's coming into the ecosystem, it'll drive people to explore the solution space very broadly. That said, uh, there aren't a lot of projects that are really honest projects that are expressing the different trade-offs between how you build the system. You know, you've got uh, decentralization uh, and scalability, and some projects say things that are ridiculous, that are unsubstantiable. So it's pretty exciting what's going on. Any countries in particular that are excited about? You knew some things, so if you could expand on any one of those, uh, I can expand on the bad news. Um, I, I think that uh, regulators are going to take to task some projects that uh, they deem are securities. It, so it's, it's also possible that uh, regulators will draw a line in the sand and just say, you know, they're sort of intending to do something reasonable and, and valuable. You've been warned now, don't do it again. Uh, so it, it may be that all these projects get a pass, but I don't think that's going to happen. No. From what I've seen, the SEC focuses on fraudulent projects, so when somebody's doing something really ridiculous. And I think because there's just so much activity in the space and much of it is ignoring securities laws, I, I think the SEC will have to make stronger statements. They've made statements, they feel like they've made statements, and they feel like people aren't listening. So my speculation is that uh, there will be um, more news. Have you guys interacted with the SEC? Uh, yeah, we talk to regulators all around the world. About the, particularly about securities law and things. We talk to securities regulators all around the world, sure, and many other kinds of regulators. Would you describe consensus as Ethereum maximalists? Would describe consensus a software company that likes building decentralized systems on blockchain. We use other protocols like decentralized storage protocols. We will use decentralized bandwidth and decentralized heavy compute protocols. Currently, in my estimation and many others, uh, Ethereum is just light years ahead of any other technology, so it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to, to use another platform. And it's growing so much faster, the network effect is orders of magnitude larger. The Ethereum project also looks very carefully at everything that's going on out there and incorporates things. Uh, Vitalik essentially sees something that he thinks is cool, ring signatures. He, that evening, he spends an hour or five hours implementing it in Python. Know, tweets about it, and then that stuff gets incorporated in the spec and all the clients. So that said, we're experimenting with different approaches, even inside of consensus, and, and looking at uh, at some of the best stuff in in other technologies. Many blockchain projects are on the way. Is there any trends over there? Uh, what do you think is necessary to survive in this in, in the industry? So we're seeing lots of components built and matured. So components like fungible tokens, non-fungible tokens, atomic exchange mechanisms, naming services, price-stable tokens, asset-backed tokens. So these, these fundamental little elements. And we have identity and bounty systems and decentralized governance tools, sort of accounting systems. Uh, as all these little pieces get put together, we're going to see some talented entrepreneurs putting 
them together into systems that uh, are compelling to consumers. And we've seen that a little bit in the space. It's still mostly about the tokens, but uh, CryptoKitties is one cool project that captured some people's imagination. Uh, so we'll, I think we'll see uh, a lot more focus on that. Uh, in order for projects like that to be really successful, we need to achieve scalability, so number of transactions per second. This year, we'll see the release of some applications using state channels technology and plasma technology that will enable them to uh, have many, many transactions per second. And over the next few years, we'll get to the scalability that we see on the internet. Can you talk a little bit more about how deep the regulation should go with the SEC, considering this is supposed to be about decentralizing institutions? Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Where is the line with these dishonest projects, these more streaming projects that you're talking about, and how far should they be going? Or is, this, is there some sort of mechanism within the cryptocurrency community or blockchain community to regulate? Yeah, so I, I don't, I'm not privy to the thinking of the SEC. So if there's a line, it's, it's, not, it's not me drawing it. So if you're issuing a token that looks like a security where you're hoping to benefit from the effort of this group that's selling you the token, uh, and that's the, the sales pitch effectively, that's a security. That's well-regulated. Uh, we don't need any new laws for that. But uh, regulators around the world, including in this country, understand that you can sell a token that wouldn't be considered a security, but would be uh, a token that enables you to access a platform, uh, operate a platform, uh, access scarce resources like decentralized storage. And so I think this year we're going to get real good clarity on what a utility or consumer token is versus what a tokenized security is. So I don't think we need new laws, really. We just need... Uh, understanding of what's going on here, you know, map it into what society considers uh, the different use cases. So you could have a futures contract in the legacy world and to a farmer, that futures contract could be hedging. And so it's, it's not really a security, but if a hedge fund buys that contract, it's treated differently. And so uh, we need to look at how these things are used and certainly not throw at the underlying technology. Uh, Do you think consumers that are getting interested in buying these tokens are ready and educated enough to be able to deal with that? Um, so they're, yeah, they're getting more educated. Uh, we've put together a process for selling tokenized securities, put together a different process for selling utility tokens or consumer tokens. Our consumer token process is very educational. Uh, so you have to go into the white papers and read stuff and answer questions. Uh, we're putting some friction uh, into place and uh, uh, we are restricting large purchases by people. You, you have to indicate that you're going to use these tokens and we're looking at mechanisms to sort of force people to use the tokens uh, if they're going to buy these tokens. And if you're buying them in extreme bulk, that won't be tolerated because you're probably a speculator. Uh, consensus itself is building out a lot of developer um, but in the spirit of decentralization, what are you doing to be inclusive of perhaps competitor products, but that might have an equally valid point of view on how users should interact with the ecosystem? So for example, like you, Portrait Identity, or MetaMaster, 
So our Uport team uh, speaks uh, very often with a project called Sovereign, which is doing some really great work. It's very similar. It's a little more enterprise-focused. Uh, we have discussions with Civic. MetaMask, pretty unique. So in general, the community is very open and collaborative. A huge number of us were in Toronto last week, and the energy was similar to the, to the energy at Ethereal, actually. It's just a lot of excitement, a lot of people hugging because they're happy to see each other. They haven't seen each other since last weekend or something like that. So it, it's a very open community and a little less so across the uh, the different technology boundaries. But uh, for, for certain projects, say Definity is a project that's a different technology, very similar, but uh, very close to those people. Cosmos is a, an interledger project. We're very close to those people. We see them uh, at events all the time and uh, they're part of the extended community extended Ethereum community, but they've got their own things going on too. So uh, New York aims to be the global hub for blockchain technology. Global hub for the decentralized... Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, with consensus being in Brooklyn, do you think the technology job shifts, more specifically blockchain, will ultimately feed from Silicon Valley? Yes, yeah, so it's going to diffuse. It's going to become more decentralized. Uh, as we move forward, having large pools of capital is going to be less valuable than having great ideas and the ability to execute those ideas and create value really rapidly as we move up the exponential curve and, and are just uh, creating new ways of interacting, new ways of creating value. People will be able to, you know, whether they're in Cleveland or anywhere else in the world, really, we're talking a small Caribbean nations and small Asian nations can set up education centers. We can enable our labs team to help mature projects. We can help them token launch themselves. And so the money is going to come to projects. I think there will be much less need to go situate yourself next to money in the Bay Area. What do you think the reason why decentralization matters? A decentralization is sometimes referred to blockchain's limits in terms of uh, through speed or scalability, yep. how can we overcome this? So, uh, we at Consensus, many others in our space, are just trying to build better systems, better systems to serve as substrates of economic, social, and political infrastructure for the planet. Many people believe that if these systems are organized according to principles of decentralization, they will be less manipulable by small sets of actors. Uh, ideally, they will foster broader ownership, broader signaling of opinions on issues uh, through voting and other mechanisms. So uh, if more people come to consensus about how they feel about things, if more people own more things, uh, we believe that that will be a healthier architecture for the planet. Decentralization in the first version of this technology, version 1.0 of blockchain, does indeed exist in balance or, or in a, a trade-off with scalability, that's transactions per second. But as we move towards other architectures, some people call them level two architectures, uh, we can achieve the scalability of the internet. So currently we've achieved massive scalability on the internet because we can keep putting new computers on the internet and each new computer 
handles a new set of transactions. In the first version of blockchain technology, when you add new computers to those networks, you create a more secure system, but you reduce the transactional throughput just a tiny bit because you increase the amount of communication overhead that has to happen. Uh, so when we move towards building applications in state channels, so that's a lot of transactions off the blockchain that's organized and finalized on the blockchain. When we move towards having side chains and, and validation across networks and moving tokens across networks, that's a whole new set of computers that can handle their own transactions. When we move towards plasma and state channels in plasma are going to happen this year, again, that's sort of like a side chain where you can set up a, a whole new blockchain system uh, for, you know, maybe CryptoKitties comes back and it's even bigger and better than ever. Uh, they build it on an Ethereum, their own Ethereum network that is linked into main public Ethereum by being anchored in a smart contract. So they could maybe achieve a thousand transactions per second. If anything goes wrong on their system, anybody who has value on their blockchain can pull their value out back to public Ethereum. So the, the radically decentralized public Ethereum will uh, serve as a security backstop for, for that sort of architecture. Next generation will have not just one Ethereum, but uh, many, many Ethereum as shards of the same system. Uh, and so a system like that will enable us to define a whole lot of computers that represents a shard of Ethereum. Maybe it's 100 shards to start with. Uh, and in that way, each new shard that we add can handle uh, many more transactions itself. I train leaders. So we don't train leaders at Consensus. We find people who are passionate, uh, who like to take on leadership roles, essentially not because we declare them leaders. We don't give them titles that bestow upon them power or leadership qualities. We expect people, if they're passionate about something, to lead by doing, lead by example. We do have programs that uh, enable people to learn about nonviolent communication techniques. You know, if you have an idea, just do it. If your idea or your action or your decision might affect somebody, talk to them about you know, how, what you're doing and, and come to consensus about that. If you think it's gonna affect the whole organization, we'll have a town hall about it. We have Slack and Quip, so everybody is strongly encouraged to write up everything that they're doing so that everybody can check into it, drill down on it uh, if they can. And so we often say if it's not on Slack or it's not on Quip, it didn't happen, it doesn't exist. Uh, and, and so in that sort of situation, we, we do have these programs that are enabling us to have greater emotional intelligence and, and to get good at bringing people into the discussion so that instead of by top-down command and control fiat, you know, trying to get people to do the work on a project, we have discussions and agreement as much as possible. And, and certainly a little top-down command and control pops up when things get intense at, at times. But the idea is that if you can talk through things and get everybody to develop it together to own it, uh, you're going to have a better systems and, and people are going to be much more engaged. Well, the blockchain industrial regulation in the US, could you compare it to other countries? Sorry, can you come so, over here so he's not looking off to the profile? Like, sure. Can you give him an eyeline this way? Good idea. So, uh, question is, uh, blockchain regulations in the US as compared to regulation in other countries. Uh, so there are some countries that are uh, less excited about cryptocurrencies. 
pretty much all countries are excited about blockchain. Cryptocurrencies and blockchain, I, I guess where they touch on regulation is with cryptocurrencies, the monies, and also with the securities. So whether, when you're issuing tokens that represent what could potentially be a security subject to regulation under securities laws in different countries. And so in this country, there will be, there, there is, there will continue to be discussions about cryptocurrencies if and how they should be regulated. There are many use cases for cryptocurrencies that are valuable. Uh, remittance is one, cross-border transactions that are very quick and inexpensive. Just being able to buy something. You know, if you're in a developing country, many companies will be happy to sell you something and ship it to you. Uh, the problem is you don't have any way to, to pay them for it. Uh, and so cryptocurrencies uh, enable ease of payment across borders. Identity and reputation and access to tokens of value for say the unbanked around the world. That's a, a very important use case that uh, regulators should not attempt to shut down. Even in the United States, there are many unbanked and they're unbanked because the banking infrastructure doesn't support them well enough. There are people who are living on the edge who may run into $35 fees uh, every month or every two months because they, they messed up something and they voluntarily leave the banking system because uh, uh, it's not configured to serve them well. So I'm pretty confident that in this country and many other countries, cryptocurrencies will continue to be enabled to operate, uh, un not overly fettered. Uh, and so I think that's going to be fine. I'm even more confident about uh, how tokens representing equity, uh, tokens representing not securities, but uh, consumer access to things or consumption tokens, they're called utility tokens. Confident that in this country, regulators will uh, sort out for themselves what should be considered a security token. Token, a tokenized security, and I, I think they're they're all over that. They've been doing that for decades, and they're going to continue doing their their work along those lines. But I, I do think that uh, they and around the world uh, are starting to understand that many different tokens uh, can be utility or consumer tokens, and would not have uh, you know strong characteristic of selling tokens to speculators who are attempting to make money by the action of others, of promoters of the scheme. There are many good projects that are organized with tokens along those lines. There are lots of other countries that are taking similar approaches, similar very open-minded approaches, understanding the power of the technology. There are other countries that are not there yet and may not want to get there with respect to cryptocurrencies, but I'm very confident they will embrace the other uses of blockchain and the other uses of tokens because it's just, it's going to be a much more powerful way of issuing programmable assets, tracking programmable assets, ensuring that they're not counterfeit, etc. Uh, there's a, an instance in, in the United States where 140% of the shares issued uh, voted on a particular issue. That sort of thing has to get cleaned up. Do you like to read? And if so, what's your favorite go-to book? Do I like to read? So I used to read books a lot, and then the internet happened. Uh, so I do audio books when I'm walking around, and I don't read books or for the last three years. I haven't been reading books very often just because the exponentially increasing onslaught of information and activity in our space. And so I have to, in my waking hours, pay attention to what's going on in our company and in our ecosystem. I used to know absolutely everything that happened in the Bitcoin world. I know nothing about 
about what happens in the Bitcoin world right now because other pursuits became higher prioritized. I used to know everything that went on in the Ethereum world. I know decreasingly small percentage of what's going on in our ecosystem. Uh, so uh, question of priorities used to read pretty wide variety of things. So what's in the audio podcast right now or what's in the audio right now? It's podcasts these days. So, so yeah, just the, the different podcasts that uh, enable me to keep a better track. They, they do great work talking about sourcing and talking about projects that I'm interested in, but don't have time to, to uh, read about when I'm sitting in front of my computer. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. We hope that you're enjoying the Ethereal Summit so far. Mark and Aaron had a great time being there and a great time making this content for you. Before we go, ApogeeCrypto.com, that's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place to check your real-time prices. CryptoNews.com, the best place for your news. And WPOnTheFly.co if you need a website. We'll see you with more Ethereal Summit in a day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.